Gospel according to Luke chapter 17, Luke 17, beginning at verse 20 and reading to the end of the chapter. Luke 17, beginning at verse 20. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees, that is, when Christ was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say, Lo, here, or Lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. And he said unto his disciples, The days will come when ye shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and ye shall not see it. And they shall say to you, See here, or see there, go not after them, nor follow them. For as the lightning that lighteth out of the one part under heaven shineth unto the other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. But first must he suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. The same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away, and he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. I tell you, in that night there shall be two men in one bed, the one shall be taken, and the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Two men shall be in the field, the one shall be taken, and the other left. And they answered and said unto him, Where, Lord? And he said unto them, Wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together. That's why we read the Word of God, and it's on the basis of that passage of Scripture, as well as on the basis of all of God's Word, that we have instruction in Lord's Day 48 of the Heidelberg Catechism, continuing in the section concerning gratitude and the gratitude that we show to God through prayer. And the question in Lord's Day 48 is this, which is the second petition, the second petition of the Lord's Prayer? The answer, thy kingdom come, that is, rule us so by thy word and spirit 
that we may submit ourselves more and more to Thee. Preserve and increase Thy church, destroy the works of the devil, and all violence which would exalt itself against Thee, and also all wicked counsels devised against Thy holy word, till the full perfection of Thy kingdom take place, wherein Thou shalt be all in all. As thankful believers, beloved, we pray. We pray for many things. We pray for our spiritual needs. We pray for our physical and earthly needs to God. We pray for everything to God. Not only seeking things from Him, but praising Him in prayer and expressing our thanks to him in prayer. And by all of that, we express our dependence upon God. There is one prayer that the child of God prays frequently because it is something that is always on his or her mind, and that is this prayer, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Our Lord Jesus Christ refers to that too in the passage that we read in verse 22. The days will come when ye shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. The desire that lives in the heart of the child of God is to see the day of the Son of Man, to see the day of Christ to see the day of the return of Christ at the end of the ages. We long for Christ to return. And so we pray for that. And that's obviously what we pray for in this second petition of the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come means come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. But as this Lord's Day points out, beloved, that's not the only thing this prayer means. We might mistakenly mistakenly think so, but the prayer, thy kingdom come, means much more than that. It also concerns the coming of God's kingdom now in this world. The coming of God's kingdom now in this world within you and me, as Christ said in Luke 17 verse 21, where is that kingdom of God? That kingdom of God is within you. So we pray for that kingdom to come within us as members of Christ. But we also pray for that kingdom to come in the church, as the Catechism points out. And so we will need this morning to give our attention to those comings of God's kingdom as well. But as we do so, we do well to remember, even as this Lord's Day itself points out, 
that the coming of God's kingdom now, the coming of God's kingdom now in you and me, and the coming of God's kingdom now in the church, is all with a view to the coming of God's kingdom at the end of time. We're not talking about three different kingdoms. We're not even talking about three different comings of the kingdom of Christ, but Christ's kingdom is coming. And it comes now in us, and it comes now in the church, with a view to, or as the catechism itself says, till, till the full manifestation of God's kingdom comes at the end of time. Everything now is preparation for the final coming of the kingdom of God. So we look at this Lord's Day and our theme as we do so is praying for God's kingdom to come. It's coming in us, that is, in believers. It's coming in the church. And finally, it's coming at the end of time. God has a kingdom. God's kingdom is great. God's kingdom is glorious. God's kingdom is majestic. God's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. There is no kingdom like the kingdom of God. Really, there is no other kingdom, no other kingdom that counts. This is the only kingdom that will stand forever and forever. And in that kingdom... God has appointed his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the king. He is the king of the kingdom of God. And he who is the king of the kingdom of God is the Lord Jesus Christ who came into this world and who suffered and died on the cross and who by his death established the kingdom of God. The kingdom was established in the blood and through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's because by his death on the cross, our Lord Jesus Christ earned all of the riches of the kingdom of God. He earned salvation for the citizens of the kingdom. He earned life and peace for us. He earned comfort for us. And he earned for us an eternal her inheritance in the kingdom of God as it will be manifest in the new heavens and the new earth. And by his death, he also earned for us the right to be in the kingdom of God. By nature, we have no right to be in it. Our sins cause separation between us and God. But Christ earned us the right to be in the kingdom by earning our righteousness. And so we have been made citizens of the kingdom of God. And we are in that kingdom already now. Already now. 
And therefore it is as citizens of that kingdom that we pray, thy kingdom come. And when we pray for that, we're praying for the coming of God's kingdom. We're not praying for the coming of an earthly kingdom, but of an heavenly kingdom. We're not praying for the coming of a kingdom of sin, but a kingdom of holiness. We're not praying for a kingdom of this world to come, but we're praying for the kingdom of Christ to come. We're not praying for a kingdom of man to be established, but we're praying for the kingdom of God. This petition, therefore, indicates our rejection of the notions of the premillennialists and the postmillennialists that God's kingdom is a kingdom here below. We reject the idea of a visible earthly kingdom. We reject the idea of a kingdom that's characterized by political earthly power and by an earthly king. We reject the idea of a kingdom that's characterized by peace and prosperity with every disease being cured and man enjoying earthly happiness to his greatest satisfaction. And who of us living in this sinful world that simply continues to increase in its wickedness and ungodliness would want simply that kind of kingdom anyway? Would you? Jesus Christ also rejected that kind of kingdom. He was asked, where when is the kingdom of God coming? When is your kingdom coming? When are you going to establish your kingdom? And his answer was this. The kingdom of God does not come with observation. The kingdom of God does not come as a kingdom that you will see with your earthly eyes. He couldn't state it more clearly. It is not an earthly kingdom, but it is a spiritual and a heavenly kingdom because the kingdom of God is within the souls and hearts of the citizens of that kingdom. Because God in his grace has saved you and me. Then what verse 21 says, what Christ says there in verse 21 is true of us. He said, the kingdom of God is within you. That's where it is. The kingdom of God is in your heart. The kingdom of God is in your soul. The kingdom of God by regeneration has been put into your heart and into your soul. And you, by the gift of faith that God has worked in your heart by his spirit, may know and experience consciously 
that you are in the kingdom of God. We mention all of that, beloved, because that helps us understand, I trust, the first part of the answer of the Heidelberg Catechism. What are we praying for when we pray for thy kingdom to come? This is what we're praying for first of all. Rule us so by thy word and spirit that we may submit ourselves more and more to thee. To pray for God's kingdom to come is to pray for God's saving work in us. And we're not praying for God to begin that saving work, that work of salvation in us. That's not what we're saying when we pray, Thy kingdom come. We wouldn't even pray this prayer if God had not already begun His saving work in us. This petition would be far from our minds if we were not already citizens in the kingdom of God. He has already begun his work of salvation in us, and the key words in the answer of the catechism are the words more and more. We're asking that he cause his work in us, the work of salvation that he has already begun in us by his grace and spirit, to develop, to advance, to grow in us. We're asking that the rule of God through Christ in us would lead us more and more to submit to Christ our King in the kingdom of God. We're praying, you understand, for sanctification. For sanctification. Make me more and more spiritual. Make me more and more heavenly minded. Make me more and more godly and thankful and obedient to God my King. Make me more and more one who puts my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ alone. That's the prayer, first of all. And we ought to understand, beloved, that we need to pray for that. We need to pray for that, especially keeping in mind those words more and more because our natural inclination and direction is not more and more, but rather less and less. Our inclination is to go backwards rather than forwards. Our inclination is this, that instead of increase and growth and development, we are inclined toward decrease. Just think of that, for example, in, in our lives. 
how true that is. Instead, for example, of resisting more and more our besetting sins, we just give in to that again and again. Instead, in our lives of being a better husband, a better wife to your spouse, your inclination is more and more to take your husband or your wife for granted. Instead of being a better parent in relation to your children, your inclination is to let your children more and more have their way and get away with things. Instead of being more loving toward each other in the household of faith, we gossip and we slander each other more. Instead of being more forgiving of the sins of our fellow believers, we're inclined more and more to hold on to our grudges against them. Instead of finding more time to spend with worthwhile activities, we instead find more time to spend to waste with social media. And instead of submitting more and more to the will of God, we submit less and less. And our minds are full of questions and doubts and dissatisfaction and self-pity. Thus the prayer, make thy kingdom come more and more in me. Make me a better citizen. I cannot rule myself as a citizen of the kingdom of God. I need Christ to rule me. Rule me more and more by the word and spirit. Humble me more. Apply the word to my life and to my mind and to my soul more. Sanctify me by thy word and by thy spirit more and more. So I live as a humble and a submissive and a worthy citizen of the kingdom of God. And isn't that, beloved, your desire? So that you might express more and more your gratitude to God. That's what we ought to pray for. And we ought, ought also to realize the need to pray for that. Thy kingdom come in me, we pray. But secondly, as the Catechism point, points out, we do not only pray for ourselves, but we pray also concerning the church. Thy kingdom come, that is, preserve 
and increase thy church. We pray for the church. Why? Why does the child of God pray for the church? Well, fundamentally, the believer prays for the church because the believer loves the church of Christ. He loves her because of what she is. She is the body and she is the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ for whom Christ laid down his life. She is the church that is valuable and precious to the Son of God and therefore the church that is precious to the believer. The believer loves the church because the church is given the gospel and the church proclaims the gospel, the gospel for the salvation of the people of God. And this gospel that is proclaimed for the salvation of your children. And you love the church because the church is your spiritual mother. It is within the church that you are fed and comforted and protected and supplied with all that you need for your soul. If you love someone, you pray for that person. If you love your spouse, you pray for her. If you love your children, you pray for them. If you love your parents, you pray for them. If you love your fellow believers, you pray for them. If you love the church, you pray for her. Pray for her because you are concerned for the church. You pray for her because you desire her good. You want the church to remain faithful. And in the words of the catechism, your desire is that the church of God be preserved and increased by God. And so first of all, our prayer is this, preserve thy church. Preserve thy church. And when we pray that, we ought to be thinking of the whole church of Christ the whole body of Christ from the beginning to the end of time, from every land and nation under heaven. Praying that God would preserve his church wherever she is. Yes, that he would preserve her here. This church, Dune Protestant Reformed Church, but that he would also be pleased to preserve our denomination of churches and that he would also be pleased to preserve our sister churches in the world and that he would also be pleased to preserve his church, the body of Christ, the gathering of believers, wherever they are in this world. And I want us to notice, beloved, from the catechism, the critical role that the Word of God has 
in the preservation of the church as the catechism itself mentions that. Preserve thy church, and that involves this, destroying the works of the devil and all violence which would exalt itself against thee, and, notice this, and all wicked counsels devised against thy holy word. For the church of Christ to be preserved in this world, for us to be preserved as a church in this world, we need the preservation of the word of God in our midst. God's holy word is attacked, as we know. God's holy word is attacked by the devil, by the ungodly, and even by many so-called believers, Christians today. And the attack upon the word of God usually begins with a questioning of the authority of the word of God undermining the authority of the word of God so that the word so that the church and the people of God do not pay attention to the word of God or at least do not give the weight to the word of God that they ought to give to the word of God and are open to giving equal weight to the words of men the opinions of men the findings of science as regards the origin of the universe, and so on. And then, having undermined the authority of the Word of God, it's very easy to introduce heresy into the church, or at least to soften the sharp edges of the truth, and then also to make the members of the church, those who confess the name of Christ, to be indifferent to the truth, indifferent to Scripture, willing to say doctrine doesn't matter. You just have to love everyone. Doctrine is important for some, but it's not important for me. I've got a life to live. Don't bother me with doctrine. And that's a serious thing. If the church, if we lose God's word and God's truth, then really we have nothing left. Nothing to preach, nothing to teach our children, nothing to witness to others about, nothing to pass on to the next generation. All of the church's work and all of the church activities, if the church has lost the word, all of those work, all of that work and all of those activities become basically totally ineffective. So that no matter what the church does, without the word, without the word of God, without the truth of God's word as God has led us into that truth, the truth that honors God exalts him as the sovereign God of our salvation in Christ, the God who is gracious to us in him. Without that, there is nothing that will serve the salvation of the church and of its children. Without the word of God, the church may as well close its doors 
and no longer be a church, shut herself down. The prayer then, preserve, preserve thy church, is the prayer, preserve thy word, O Lord, preserve thy truth in us, and preserve us in our love for that truth and our purpose and desire to defend that truth, and our purpose and desire as God's people to live according to that truth. The Word is necessary for the preservation of the church. The Word as applied by the Spirit of Christ. Preserve thy church, we pray. And that request has added urgency in our day because the church of Christ experiences troubles. The catechism itself recognizes that. Our prayer for the preservation of the church arises out of our realization that there are the works of the devil and there is all this violence that would exalt itself against Christ and God and his church. The church faces that. The church of Christ in this world faces that. Our church and churches face that. Constant attacks upon the church. Attacks that come from outside the church. The works of the devil, the catechism calls it. Satan working hard as a roaring lion. Satan who hates the church as the bride of Christ. Satan who is set on destruction destroying Christ's church in this world. The church is threatened through sin. The church is threatened through temptation. The church is threatened through worldliness. The church is threatened through, as we just said, the attacks that are made upon the word of God. And the church is also attacked through the sin of schism that takes place and has taken place in our circles. And we're familiar with that. The church is attacked through office bearers and members leaving the church. That's an assault, an attack upon the church as the body of Christ. And through all of this, there is the desire of Satan to create instability in the church. Instability, you could say, even in our churches. Questioning and mistrust of the assemblies, the consistories, the classes, the synods without proof. 
and suspicion. Suspicion of ministers of the word. Creating unrest, instability, an atmosphere of suspicion and mistrust. The church is assaulted by all of that. But just as real and just as serious are threats that come from inside the church, not just from the outside, but from within, which amounts to the church destroying or attacking herself. Many things could be mentioned. But some of these things, earthly-mindedness, members and families pursuing a life of pleasure, no time or very little time for spiritual things, and the church becomes weaker and weaker. Or the church and the parents in the church not instructing their children faithfully, not devoted to that. And in one generation or two, they have departed. Well, the marks of a true church fading, a church weakening in the area of preaching, discipline, and sacraments, and gradually over time showing signs of becoming a false church. Or even how the members of the church relate to and treat each other. That warning of Galatians 5 verses 14 and 15 comes to mind. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Biting and devouring, gossip and slander, until the church destroys itself. And as I indicated, beloved, those are things that we have experienced as a congregation and especially as part of a denomination of churches. And that we really still are experiencing some leaving the churches without properly addressing their concerns, even if they have legitimate concerns. And then having left, they continue to criticize, perhaps seeking to influ influence others to turn their back on our churches. And we must admit and we do admit that we certainly have weaknesses as churches. We are far from perfect as a denomination of churches. 
We need God's correction. We need God's chastening. But if you who are here love the church of Christ, then you will not quickly leave. You will not quickly abandon your spiritual mother, but you will stay to help her and address the concerns that you may have in the proper way. So that shows us again the urgency of this prayer, the urgency of it. The church is vulnerable, and we ourselves contribute to that by our failure to love her well. And if the preservation of the church were dependent upon us, the church would be doomed. It's an urgent prayer. Lord, preserve thy church. Defend her. Protect her. Keep us as a congregation of thy people firmly grounded in the truth of the word of God. Keep us as a congregation from the sins that destroy the church, sins of the tongue and sins of actions and sins of the words that we speak or that we write. And instill in us, that's our prayer, instill in us a deep love for the church of Christ so that we do all we can to help her so that under the Lord's blessing, she prospers well. That's the prayer for God to protect his church. But secondly, concerning the church, as the Catechism says, we pray that God would increase his church. God, first of all, increases his church by means of his word and spirit numerically. And one of the ways in which God is pleased to increase his church numerically is by adding others through our preaching, through our witnessing, and even through the church's work in mission. But especially does God increase his church through giving children to the church and children to believing parents and families in his church. The church grows, the church increases numerically through God, godly parents if the Lord enables them bringing forth children and through godly mothers who count it a privilege and an honor and a blessing to have children, even to have many children. And through godly parents, if God is pleased to give them children, bringing up their children in the fear of the Lord, internal numerical growth. That's the blessing of God. And a blessing of God that we observe here in 
that we experience here in doing PRC. The covenant blessing of the Lord our God. We thank him for it. But when we speak about the church growing, when we speak as the catechism uses that word, we speak about the church increasing, then we are mindful especially of the spiritual growth and increase of the church. That's where the word of God comes in again. As we spoke of that earlier, that word of God is necessary for the preservation of the church, not only, but that word of God is necessary for the increase of the church. And that spiritual increase of the church is much more significant than any numerical growth in the church. Much more interested in that is the child of God. The church's strength is not in numbers, but the church's strength is in her spiritual strength, the strength of the faith of the people of God. The strength of the faith of the people of God when the word of God is faithfully preached and applied by the Spirit of Christ to them. The word of God that fills the people of God with wonder, with wonder at the grace of God to us. And a word that by the Spirit's application of that word increases the love of the people of God, the love of God's people for God himself, and our love for Christ, and our love for one another, and our love for the church. And again, when it comes to the increase of the church, we realize we cannot increase the church. We cannot make her numerically stronger and spiritually stronger. We must pray God for this. And so this is our prayer, that God would increase his church. And finally, we pray concerning the coming of the kingdom of God at the end of time. I indicated earlier, beloved, the significance of that word till in the answer of the catechism. Till the full perfection of thy kingdom take place, wherein thou shalt be all in all. That word till points out that there is that close connection between the coming of the church coming of the kingdom in us now, the coming of the kingdom in the church now. We're not speaking of three different kingdoms. We're not speaking of three different comings of the kingdom, but one, so that the coming of the kingdom in us and the coming of the kingdom in the church is all in preparation for, with a view to, and in fulfillment of God's purpose to bring about the final 
realization of the kingdom of God at the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even the Lord Jesus Christ indicated that in Luke 17. He said, first of all, regarding his kingdom, that behold, the kingdom of God is within you. And then he proceeded to talk about the coming of that kingdom at the end of time from verses 22 and following. Because they are related, because they are connected, and because the final coming of the kingdom of God, the final manifestation of the kingdom of God is God's goal and purpose with all things. God has not planned for there to be an eternal kingdom on this earth. God has not planned that there will be a kingdom on this earth where, where there will be no sickness and no disease anymore, no strife and no trouble anymore. God has not planned that there will be a kingdom of this earth and even a church on this earth where there are perfect Christians and there is a perfect church here below. And eventually, that perfect church having a, a wonderful world to live in. God has not planned that. That would be impossible anyway. Impossible because we still all have within us the old man of sin, which we will have until the day we die. Because that is all true. We long for the perfection of God's kingdom that is promised us in the glories of heaven. Thus, this prayer is eschatological, a prayer concerning the end. We look forward to the end. We look forward to that end with uplifted heads. And the child of God who lives in this world and has by faith his eyes fixed on the eternal final manifestation of the kingdom of God that will come about at the day of Christ says, this life is wearisome. This life is characterized by constant struggle. And my current problems and struggles and troubles in life for me and for my family and for my fellow believers and for the church make me eager for that end to come. I long for, for perfection. And the sooner that day of perfection arrives, the better, the better. In fact, today would not be too soon. That's what the believer prays and confesses. And we pray for that in faith. We pray for this believing that that day is coming because we confess and believe Christ is king. 
And Christ as king is sovereign king, sovereign over all things. And Christ as the sovereign king is directing everything to make that day come as soon as possible. No delay. No delay. That's the day that is coming. And what a day it will be, a day of unimaginable glory and of unspeakable joys. A day when what the Catechism mentions will be fulfilled. We will see Christ return on the clouds of glory with his heavenly host. And he will destroy every earthly kingdom and everyone that exalts himself against him. And he will destroy all the enemies and all the opposition of the church of Christ in this world, the devil, the ungodly, and also our sinful flesh. And he will bring an end to all trouble and distress. No more sorrow, no more pain, no more sickness, no more crying, no more grief, no more loneliness, and he will bring us to live with him in the glories of the new heavens and the new earth. Finally, finally then, we will be with God and Christ. And finally, we will be with the whole church, all of the elect of God. And finally, we will be perfect. No more sinning. No more hurting, offending, or crushing each other by our words, our actions, and even our thoughts. As we sing of that in Psalter 29, where streams of pleasure ever flow and boundless joys abide. That day is coming. And so may Christ cause his kingdom to come now in us and in his church so that it may come very soon at the end of time. Amen. Our God and our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for Thy Word. We thank Thee for reminding us of it and enlightening us through it and instructing us concerning our prayer for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of Christ. Apply thy word to us and give us the assurance that thou art fulfilling thy purpose in all things. The day of Christ is coming. We long for that day. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. <laughs>